welcome to the City Church Podcast, your home for the latest sermons and audio updates from City Church St. Petersburg. We meet each Sunday at 1030 a.m. at 1211 First Avenue North on the third floor. Talk to you for a second about Guardians of the Galaxy. Smooth transition, right? Buttery. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy was one of the biggest uh, hits of this past summer in the movie theaters. Uh, And there's a moment at the very beginning uh, where one of the characters, who is sort of a gunslinger type of fellow, uh, sees one of his fellow teammates pull out a gun. And he looks sort of disappointed. And he turns to her and he says, "Uh, Oh, you've got a gun now? And she says, Yes, of course I've got a gun. He goes, Oh, I thought... I thought swords were your thing and, and guns were my thing. I thought, that's fine. I guess we're both doing guns. This is fine. I don't care. It's fine. Everything's fine. Right? And it, it, there's this moment, though, where he kind of, he says, well, that's, you can't do that. That's kind of my thing. Right? So here's the question I have for you this morning. What's your thing? What's the thing that when you sort of think about your life, it's the thing that you go, yeah, yeah, I'm the such and such guy. I'm the girl who fill in the blank. What is your thing that you sort of define yourself by? Because here's the thing about that. We've all got a thing. We all have a, maybe a talent that we define ourselves by. We all have a, a position in life that we say, I'm defined by this. Or a disposition, a, a way of approaching things. You know what? I'm the cheery, happy, positive person. Or maybe something more like, I, I am the world's best grandma. Or I'm the king of crossfitters. Whatever your thing is, All of us have something that we let define us. For some of you guys, it's strength. Others, it's intelligence. Some of you aren't very strong, you're not very smart, but man, are you relationally savvy. And you're willing to admit both of those first two things. I'm not the smartest, certainly not the healthiest, but man, I know how to work people. Maybe, maybe that thing is your financial well-being, how much money you have. You might not be smart, you might not be the strongest, might not be rich, but you know what? I'm pretty good looking. The mirror is kind to me. I'm not speaking autobiographically there. You know, you know your self-deprecation has gone a little too far when people kind of groan about it. <laughs> you see, whatever our thing is, even if your thing is self-deprecating humor, whatever our thing is, we've all got one. We've all got something that defines us. And what's interesting is, this is not just true for us on a personal level, this is not just true for us individually, but this is true as a culture as well. Our culture has a certain set of things that we define as most important, that this is the kind of culture we are. 
What's interesting is, in the city of Corinth, the city that we're talking about over the next few months, their thing was wisdom. If you were the smartest, most eloquent guy on the block, you were the most important one. And I started to ask myself this question. If wisdom was the sort of defining characteristic of the city of Corinth, what would be the defining characteristic of the city of St. Petersburg? What is the thing that most people in St. Pete aspire to? What are our greatest fears culturally? I think one of the things that St. Pete is defined by is our uniqueness. We like being a little bit off kilter. We like being a little bit unique. We like to keep it local. So I'd much rather have that shirt from that little t-shirt shop downtown than from Target. I'd much rather fill in the blank with all the ways that we in St. Pete want to keep ourselves unique. And the other side of that is our greatest fear is being corporate and the same as everyone else, isn't it? How many jobs in St. Petersburg are small companies? A lot. And we like that. And even our large companies, even the big companies that are headquartered here in St. Pete are very much that sort of Google, new wave, we're going to do things different, right? I mean, the business right across the hallway from us is a call center. That, that's what they do. And yet, in their call center, they have a pool table and, like, hanging hammock chairs. And so, like, every now and then, I'll walk past, and there are people on sales calls playing pool. Because, because we're St. Pete, and we're going to keep things unique, and we're going to do it differently, and so we let our telemarketers play pool while they're telemarketing. What happens when your thing gets taken away? What happens when the thing that you define yourself by, that one characteristic that you sort of hang your hat on, what happens when that goes away? If maybe you think that you're you, you know, you don't have a lot going on, but your marriage is great. What happens when it's not? What happens when the layer of the onion is peeled back and things aren't as good as you thought they were? Or maybe you kind of look around at your kids and go, I have good kids. My kids aren't like those people's kids. They're well-behaved and mild-mannered and sedated all the time. <laughs> don't laugh too hard. But what happens when they're not? What happens when you define yourself as being the strongest or the smartest and you meet someone smarter, stronger, more unique, better at whatever it is you think that you do well? You see, here's the thing. We all let ourselves be defined by a characteristic. But in order to truly know and experience Jesus, one of two things is going to happen. 
either we're going to have to give up the very thing that we hang our hat on. We're going to have to give up the thing that we define ourselves by or God is going to take it away. That's uncomfortable. That sort of language, well, no, I can't, that's, that can't be true because it's a good, marriage is a good thing, Justin. Why would God take it away? Justin, uh, being smart is not bad. Last time I checked, it's totally okay with the Bible to be smart. Here's the thing. Each one of us, myself included, has this trouble where we take good things. Things like our marriages, things like our children, our intelligence, our strength, our wealth, our social status, our savvy in relationships. We take these things that are good things and we turn them into our ultimate things. You see, the things that we let define us are our ultimate things. And God says, if you want to experience Jesus, if you want to experience the power of the message of Jesus, you're going to have to let go of these things. So here's what I want to do. This is exactly what Paul is going to show us as he talks to the Corinthian church. And so I'd like to read you the last half of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And as I do this, I'd like you to stand. So if you would stand up, we're going to read 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 18, finish out the chapter. It'll be on the screen. It's also in the app uh, on our, in our, it's also on the Bible in our app. Uh, or if you have your Bibles with you, however you want. But let's hear this together. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs, and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews, and folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of Him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. City Church, this is the Word of God written nearly 2,000 years ago and intended for us this morning. You may be seated. 
So the people of Corinth were defining themselves by their wisdom, by how smart they were. And what's interesting is, as Paul sort of kicks off the heart of this letter, as he begins to address the church in Corinth in earnest, he immediately puts up a sides, two sides. And he says, the gospel and the wisdom that you are holding up are two separate and different things. He begins to point out the way that they are contrasted with one another. And he starts by saying that God is going to thwart the wisdom that we normally think about. He is going to upset our cultural norms. He is going to subvert what we normally think. Because in Corinth, even in the church, those who were gaining uh, popularity, the pastors who were coming to the forefront, were those who could talk in the same wise-sounding way as everyone around them. And he comes to them and he says, no, no, no. This is something entirely different. What we are teaching, the Christianity that Jesus handed to us, the message of the Bible is not compatible with the wisdom that you are used to. And whether it's wisdom in Corinth, strength, wealth, social savvy, whatever is our thing, in each of those cases, Paul says to us that what we think is our strength, God comes to break down. It's interesting because he says that what we preach is completely different than what everyone else is teaching. He says, you guys in Corinth think whoever has the wisest words, that's the guy who should be in charge. That's the person who should have power. That's where life happens. And Paul says, no, here's what I'm going to come and tell you. That there was a Jewish rabbi who was killed by the Romans. Not just killed. He was brutally crucified by the Romans. That's who you should follow. Not the most eloquent one. Not the wisest one. No, no. A Jewish teacher who was killed by the Romans. Now, something is a little bit difficult for us in our culture, in that this is not that shocking. Nobody in here, when I sort of made that statement about a Jewish rabbi who was crucified by Romans, no one gasped. That's because the way that culture in the West has gone, Christianity has been our default. And we've come to see the cross as a good thing, right? It's not uncommon for most women to own some sort of cross jewelry, right? Very popular. And we have so sort of made the cross beautiful that we miss the shock and the scandal of what the cross was. In fact, if you would have told a Corinthian that, no, no, you should follow Jesus. He was a crucified Jew. You should totally follow him. He rose from the dead, but he was crucified by the Romans before that. They would have laughed at you. In fact, there is uh, in Corinth some ancient graffiti 
and it shows a man bowing down in front of a donkey that's being crucified. And it says, look at Alexander worshipping his God. That graffiti shows that their culture could not understand why you would follow somebody who was brutally tortured and murdered by Romans. Clearly, the Romans beat you, not who you should follow. And so to the Corinthians, to the Greeks in Corinth, if you were crucified, you lost. You did not win, you lost. And the Jews experienced something similar. The Jews would say, look, anybody who is crucified by the Romans is cursed. The Old Testament says, cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree. You could not be more literal about that than a crucifixion. And so both the Jews and the Greeks looked at this message that Paul said and said, that's, that's crazy. Why is that the source of your religion? Why is that the source of your power? And Paul says, it's precisely because of the weakness of Jesus. Precisely because of the weakness we see in God's economy. That Jesus willingly laying down his life. Jesus willingly being tortured is actually strength. What are the cultural norms? What are the normal things, the beliefs that we have, that we live and breathe around, that the message of the weakness of Jesus subverts? That the message of Jesus calls us out of? In our culture, we have a strong meritocracy. If you are the smartest in your class and get the best grades, you will go to the best college and have the best opportunities. This is the way of the world. If you are the strongest athlete, you will succeed and go on and receive the money that you deserve. If you are the most socially savvy, you will engineer your way up the chain. Whatever it is that you are good at, that is your ladder. And Jesus comes along and says, no, I'm interested in kicking ladders out from underneath of people. I'm interested in weak people who can't help themselves. I'm interested in those with no ability to socially climb. Come be a part of that. Something about that strikes us, doesn't it? Something that, some little voice goes, yeah, but not... But not this, Justin. I mean, that's fine for those other people, but not my thing. Not my thing that allows me to better my life. And Jesus says, yeah, your thing. That thing that you think makes you able to climb socially is the thing Jesus is coming along and saying, no, I want weakness, not strength. It's interesting that we as Christians have a a special problem with this. Because many of us who are Christians take this model and apply it to our life in Jesus. Here's how we do this. We say, you know what? If I just have the right religious knowledge, then I'll be able to advance in my relationship with God. If I just do the right things often enough, then I'll be able to become more and more like Jesus. If I just have the right 
worship experience, then everything is going to be okay. What that is, is us using self-righteousness to try to climb our way to God. And Jesus comes and says, I'm not interested in that either. And so he goes through and says, all of the ways that you normally think about life, your default settings is to think that strength, whatever your strengths are, is the way that you advance in life. Whatever your strengths are in your relationship with Jesus, that's how you get better and closer to Jesus. And Jesus comes along to all those things and says, no. The message of the cross is a message of weakness. That's what I'm interested in. And Paul continues to tease this out. What does he say? He says, God has chosen to work not through the strong things in this world. He says, consider yourselves, church at Corinth. Not that many of you were of noble birth. Not many of you were very smart. Not many of you had a lot actually going on with your lives. Now this is, this is Paul coming strong. I mean, let's just say, for instance, that I looked around City Church and said, not many of you came from money and you're not that smart and you don't have a lot going on for you. See you next Sunday, guys. Come back. Cool. No. You'd all not show up again if I started calling you stupid and weak and, and ugly. You have terrible children and your marriages are a mess. Nobody'd show up ever again. I'd be hawking lattes. And yet, and yet, what Paul says to us is, you aren't as good as you think you are. Your strengths aren't as great as what you think. And some of us know this to be true. Some of us know this to be true because we've had our strengths, we've had the things that we trust in taken away from us. Some of us have experienced this academically. Some of you went to college and you, you, you did great. and You had a, a 4.0 in college and you decided, well, I'm going to go to grad school. And all of a sudden you get in a room with a lot of other people who had 4.0s in college and your GPA goes down to a 2.5 and you look around and go, oh, guess I wasn't as smart as I thought I was. Some of us have felt this at work. What happens when you're at work and somebody else gets hired in your department and they're just flat out better than you at everything you do? How do you feel about that person? Maybe you're the strongest person you know. What happens when you meet somebody stronger? You see, for most of us, we need to admit that we need something more. Because if we're trusting in our strength, it's never enough, is it? If we're trusting in our intellect, there's always someone who is smarter. There's always somebody who has more money, who is more secure. Somebody's marriage is always better than our own. Somebody's kids are always better than my own. I mean our own. Jesus says, I want to 
call a group of weak people together. People who are in need. People who don't have everything together. And that's going to be the people that I use to change the world. Why? Because those are precisely the people that everyone else counts out. The message of Christianity is not for people who have it together. It's not. If you are here this morning, Christian or not, and you think that your life is pretty together and everything is fine and you don't have any trouble, enjoy the coffee because that's all about all I have to offer you. But if you're anything like me, and you look at your life and go, I have serious flaws. I have actual brokenness. Actual things that I can't fix in my life. If you look around and go, there is a lot more in my life that I feel stuck with and burdened by and too heavy to carry. And I've got stuff that runs deep, deep in my life. If that's you, then the message of Jesus to you is, Good. Let's start talking. Because the message of Jesus is this, that He calls us to admit our weakness and find our strength in Him. We are a culture that is absolutely obsessed with self. We are absolutely preoccupied with ourself. And we are weak in that area. And Jesus comes to us and says, take your eyes off of yourself. Look at me. Because I showed weakness despite having power. Jesus could have at any moment said, Yeah, I'm done with this crucifixion thing, and stepped right off the cross and killed a bunch of Romans. Jesus could have done that. He absolutely had the power to do that. Why did he not? Because in our minds, that's what he should have done. Why did Jesus not step off of the cross? He didn't for the joy that was set before him. Because he knew that if he took on our weaknesses, if he showed weakness like we really are, he could give his strength to us. Paul ends this passage by saying, but if you are willing to admit your weakness, if you're willing to confess that you don't have it all together. Jesus becomes for us four things. He lists at the end of the passage. He says he becomes our wisdom, our righteousness, our sanctification, and our redemption. See, we don't have to be smarter than everyone else around us. Because Jesus is all the wisdom we need. We don't have to be more perfect than everyone else around us or than the standard that we set in our heart because it's not our righteousness that counts. It's the righteousness that Jesus gave us when we trusted in Him. See, we can admit that we are flawed and that we don't have the power to change our lives in and of ourselves. Why? Because in Jesus... He becomes our sanctification. He is the one that is making us holy, not ourselves. And Jesus becomes for us our redemption. You see, 
all of us, when we look at those things, those things that we let define us, what we're really saying is that I hope that this thing saves me. I hope that my money can deliver me from my slavery to sin. I hope that most my social status can deliver me from my failed relationships. I hope that my strength can save me from the hardships of the way I grew up. I hope that my intelligence can save me from the mess that I've made in my life. The thing that we let define us is often, usually, most of the time, the thing that we're really hoping will save us. And Jesus says, come to me to find redemption. Come to me to find your righteousness. Come to me for true wisdom. You see, it's interesting. Um, lots of people uh, like the shirts, the t-shirts that we have here at City Church, the ones that say broken, messed up, accepted, forgiven. Um, which I think is kind of astounding because honestly, when you wear those shirts about yourself, it's, it's kind of an offensive admission, isn't it? I am broken. I cannot fix myself. I do not have the power in me to change my life. Yay, church. And yet, when we are truly willing to admit that, when we are truly willing to find our acceptance and forgiveness, not in the works of our hands, not in how strong or wealthy or powerful or how smart we are, when we truly are finding ourselves in Jesus, when we see ourselves as the poor and powerless, what we find is true freedom, true power for change, real peace in our hearts. And we can boast in the glorious love of Jesus who loves broken people who trust in so many other things. Let's pray.